0: Verses 13 to 30. It says this, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, In the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated.
1: If you want to follow in your Bibles, turn to Matthew 19, but it will be coming up on the screen. Um, a number of years ago, I was watching a Family Feud show, and if you know Family Feud, they ask audiences, a hundred people, a question, and then the contestants the next week or so have to guess the answers. And the question was, <clears throat> who is the last person you would expect to see in heaven? Um, now, this took place in the late 1970s. Okay, I must have been about three years old. Um, <laughs> took place in the late 1970s. So I want you to try to guess. Put yourself into that audience. What do you think, who do you think they said would be the last person you'd expect to see in heaven. Charles Manson. Richard Nixon. Hitler. Hitler, Stalin. Mussolini. Some of you must have seen this show. (laughs) Because the top three were third, Mussolini, second Hitler, and the grand prize goes to Steve Demers, the person they thought would least likely was Richard Nixon. Um, Now, I don't know who's in heaven up there, but in the passage we're going to read today, it says, "...the last will be first, and the first will be last." it's really giving us a message that some of the people we think might be the last ones to see in heaven will actually be the first ones we'll see in heaven. And today's story flips it. That some of the people we think will be the the first people we will see in heaven actually won't be there. This story is about a man that if anyone was going to get, get into heaven by what he has done, this would be the man. He keeps the commands. He pursues Jesus. He has a passion for God. And he even goes beyond that. He says, he comes to Jesus saying, I want to make sure I make it into heaven. What's the last silver bullet? Good deed I can do that will ensure that I get to heaven. I mean, that's a good guy. That's a guy I'd let in. But Jesus does not. For in this conversation, that young man leaves grieving. Because he knows Jesus' verdict is, you will not enter. Because... As this passage is going to show us, salvation is not by obedience and good works. It is by grace. And so what I want to do as we unfold the passage today, and we're not going to actually get to do all of it because there's so much here, is to establish that salvation is clearly by grace. Jesus is teaching that. And secondly, to ask the question, why? Why in God's thinking, why is salvation by grace? Let's pray. Our Father, we are all at different places here today. And some of us are still trying to work our way to heaven. Lord, we need to be shown your word today. We need to show, like this young man was shown, our efforts are futile. It's impossible. Others have received the grace of Jesus Christ. May we hear your call, that out of that grace follow you. But may we also have our struggles met, because I think we all struggle with the idea of Is it really fair that salvation is by grace and so many good people are kept out? Father, help to answer that question for us. Help us to find satisfaction in who you are. Gain your perspective on life, on works, on grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Gospel of John has a similar story to this one. There's a man, his name is Nicodemus, who seems like the perfect candidate to get into heaven. But in John, Jesus is very clear that, Nicodemus, you may be good, but you are not in the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. It isn't by works. And then when he asks, how is a person born again? Jesus' answer is very clear. It is by believing in me. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so that those who are dying looked to that raised serpent and thought, saying, my look to that will save me. So the Son of Man will be lifted up in the wilderness. We be it up on the cross that whoever looks to him, believing he will save them, will be saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. The same message is in this passage, but it's much more subtle. And so we need to look for clues, as it isn't quite as direct in its teaching. But let's look at it. And what we see in Jesus' conversation with this young man is first that Jesus deconstructs the whole idea that a person be saved by their works. Then secondly, he shows that they're saved by God's work and our dependence upon it. Salvation is by grace. This young man exemplifies the predominant view even of today that people get to heaven, people get eternal life, people enter the kingdom of God by their good works. That's why he comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, what good deed can I do that will ensure eternal life? And we see by the later conversation when jesus says well do you keep the commandments and he's saying which commandments and jesus lays them out and he says yep got those so i got those so what's the extra good deed to make absolutely sure i've done all i need to do to get into heaven isn't that a perfect description of the view you get to heaven by obeying god obeying the commandments doing good works you know, D.A. Carson brings out that in the, the Jewish mindset of that period, if you could find certain specific deeds to do, then you were assured the kingdom of heaven. And that's what this man is looking for. If i obeyed God, now I want that good deed. Make sure I get it. And it's clear from what Jesus says you're not in. As good as you are, you're not in. Now, as we look at Jesus' response to, to this man, it might first appear that he is talking about good works. What good thing can I do? Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, which ones? Jesus lays out a number of the Ten Commandments and adds one more. Man says, got it. Jesus says, okay, go Sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, follow me. Now it sounds like that's the good work that this young man must do. And so Jesus himself is saying it's by good works. But that's not the case. Jesus is saying this to show the young man that he is not keeping the commandments of God. He is breaking the very first commandment of God. Love no other gods before me. That's the first and most central command of God. Love no other gods before me. And so Jesus says, go sell everything you have because he is showing this young man, you have a God before me. And that God is your money. You cannot give it up out of love for me. We all have the same problem. We cannot give up things we love more than God. And so Jesus builds on that and he says, it is more difficult for a rich man To get into the kingdom of God, than for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Okay, I don't know how many of you have ever even had a camel, but I doubt anyone has tried to fit a camel through the eye of a needle because it's impossible. It is impossible for a rich man to be saved by his works. But the disciples get the message. If the rich man can't be saved, it's impossible for him. Who can be saved? And Jesus answered not just about the rich man, but about every one of us. Who can be saved? It's impossible with man. If you are striving, if you have been brought up thinking that good people get into heaven and bad people don't, hear the words of Jesus, it is impossible, you can't be good enough. But Jesus gives an alternative With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And the all things he's talking about is your salvation. You can't do it, but God can do it for you. And he has done it for us. He sent Jesus Christ for God so loved the world... He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And we see the hints in this passage that shows this. Uh, Notice at the very end, when Jesus is talking to disciples and he says, you know, your reward, he says, you followed me, and I believe he's saying here, you followed me, you've given up everything for me because you believe in me. Not that's the way you get saved. But you've given everything up and the result is that you will receive a hundredfold and, notice the word, you will inherit eternal life. The young man came and said, Jesus, what good can I do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to get it? To earn it? Jesus says at the end, you inherit eternal eternal life. Now what's the difference about getting something and inheriting it? Getting, you earn it. I go to work, I get a paycheck, they give it to me because of what I've done. When I inherit something, I didn't earn it. Somebody else did all the work and I get it when they die. And that's exactly it. I can't Earn salvation. But Jesus Christ did all the work in taking my sin upon himself and paying for it. I get it when he dies. Actually, because he dies for me. Another hint in this passage is when the man comes to Jesus, Jesus says, Why do you come to me? And in the original language, the me is emphatic. It says, why do you come to me? Because if we follow Jesus' words, if we understand what Jesus is teaching, Jesus doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to give you a new set of rules. I'm going to give you the complete set of rules. And if you follow these, you're in. That's what the young, rich, young ruler thinks. But Jesus is trying to say, you're coming to me? (laughs) You think you're going to get a works answer from me? No, I'm going to reveal to you that it isn't by works. For me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am salvation. I don't give you the way of salvation. I am your salvation. And if we notice, the story that precedes this conversation, Jesus calls the little ones to himself and says, you've got to be like them to enter the kingdom of God. So what is it about children? What character quality in children do people need to have in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven? The answer is the dependence that they have on others for their lives. Children depend upon their parents or other loved ones or organizations to to bring them the very food that they need to stay alive, to watch over their health care. So they stay alive to keep them out of the streets. So they stay alive. They are completely dependent. They don't go out and say, I better go earn a paycheck so I can put food on my table. They're saying, Mom and Dad, where's the food? And so Jesus is trying to say right from the very beginning is we are saved because Christ went and earned our salvation and we look to him to believe in Jesus Christ is to be fully dependent upon him for eternal life. Like the child parent turning to the, the parent. Where's the food? It's us turning to Jesus and says, we need you to have salvation. So, salvation is by grace, not by works. And we struggle with this as a culture because it is so deeply embedded in us. Every other religion, you get to God by what you do. Many churches that carry the name of Christ teach you get to heaven. By what you do. The sports talk show I listen to in the morning over and over again, they talk about a person of, whoa, he's not getting into heaven because he's not very good. Or they say, that guy's so good, he's got to be getting into heaven. I mean, if they're doing it, they're doing it everywhere. Conversations, you don't have to go far. When people start having conversations about heaven, it's all the good people are in, the bad people are out. And Jesus is saying there's no one good enough to get in. The only ones in are the last ones, the little ones who are dependent not on their works, but are dependent upon the work of Jesus Christ for them. Salvation is by grace. Why? Why is salvation by grace? Because I struggle with it often. And I know people struggle with the concept of salvation. It's not by works, but by grace. Because it seems so unfair. I mean, I've got this great neighbor. I mean, he is the nicest guy. He is friendly to everybody. He's thinking of people. He is, he's moral. He's certainly nicer than I am. He does more for other people than I do. He's much more thoughtful than I am. And he's an atheist. He does, Jesus is simply a good teacher to him. He's not in. He's the first. But he's actually the last. He's not in. And I get in. And there's probably a couple people even worse than me that are getting in. But the good guy isn't getting in. That is so unfair. So why is salvation by grace? And again, just like the teaching isn't so direct, but it's hints, it's clues in this passage that we need to see to see the answer. And it really comes down to two things. Salvation is by grace because of who we are and because of who God is. Salvation is by grace because of who we are. We are people made in the image of God. So God isn't letting us off the hook. We're made in the image of God. And he's saying you've got to live up to that. God made us to find our fulfillment in him yet we continually find our fulfillment in gods other than him and god saying that won't do and god built us the god of relationships built us for relationships with people not with rules so what are the clues we see in this passage that help us understand Grace, it's by grace because of who we are. Uh, the first clue we find <clears throat> when Jesus says, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. Now that last statement seems out of, out of left field here. Saying, I, I want to know the good deed. And Jesus says, well, only God is good. And what he's pointing out is this man has come and said, I got to get the good deed. And Jesus is about to define good. He's defining good in light of the person of God himself. You want good? Look at God. And guess what? You're not measuring up to who God is. You fall short. When Paul talks about sin, he says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now why is it so important that we live up to God? The answer is because we were made in the image of God, and God isn't going to, isn't willing to say you can be less than the image of God. Go ahead, be less. Doesn't matter to me that you aren't able to, you You aren't experiencing, you aren't becoming what I created you to be. So like a university, do we want a uh, a great university start changing its standards because I can't measure up to it? We don't want that university to say, ah, we got to let Bruce in, so let's really lower the standards here. It's like they've got to keep theirs, and I can't get in by my works. By God got in it, by grace, right? <laughs> and so, because we're made in God's image, when we compare ourselves, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves thinking, I can get in. We shouldn't be comparing ourselves to other people, but to God. And see, when I have conversations about sin, people are always comparing themselves to other people. And I'll say, um... I often ask the question if you stood before God and He asked you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? And they say, well, I'm a pretty good person. And, you know, I don't murder. I don't steal. I don't lie too much. I'm better than most people. Now, what if the standard was the life of Jesus Christ? Could you say, well, I don't murder. I don't steal. And um, as good as Jesus Christ. I have yet to hear a person say that. See, we have the wrong standard. And he's leaving the standard before God is good. You want good deeds? Okay, measure up to God. And we don't, we shouldn't want God to lower his standards. We should want God to envision on us what he created us to be. The very image of God. We shouldn't want him to lower the standard and say, you can be less than what you were created to be. But we don't measure up. We all fall short, and so we are in trouble. So God says, you're in trouble, but I still love you. I will die for you. You can be saved by grace, and now you become a new creature, and I start working in you, and you start working with me to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace because we were meant to be fulfilled by God. I I like to talk about these holes in our lives, these needs that we have, our need for love, to be loved, our need to have an identity, to, to, to matter, to be significant, our need for security. You know, God fulfilled all those needs for us but we turned to others. We turned to other things to fulfill those needs. We see, and that's what Jesus is trying to show this young man. He says, go and sell everything. And what's very interesting is in the Gospel of Mark, in the parallel passage, the words before Jesus saying, go sell everything, say he looked On that man. Jesus looked at that man with love. What's that saying? It's saying what Jesus was about to say. Sounds harsh. But it was completely and totally. The loving thing to do. Because he saw. That this man. Was in the grips. Of greed. That this man had built his identity. Upon how wealthy he was! He sought fulfillment in security, in his wealth, instead of God, and it entrapped him. He couldn't give it up. All of us have things we turn to other than God, and what Jesus is doing here is an intervention, like a, a, a drug addict or an alcoholic who's in the grips and power of the addiction and the loving people come around and they do an intervention and they get in his face or her face and show them what's happening. Jesus looked on at love and said, you got to give it away. If you really want freedom, you got to give it away. And it's various things. Uh, In... The Village Voice in article. There is a it was an article about how there was a rise in unsafe sex. If you remember back there, it was everything is safe sex, safe sex, safe sex, but there was a rise happening, and the author was actually doing it. And so he writes, as he writes, he says this At first I was shocked at what I was doing. I recoiled so much from what I had done that it seemed to be not my choice at all. It was like a monster did it. He knew better, but he kept doing it because it was like a monster. And that's what was in this young man's life. His wealth was a monster controlling. And there are things in our lives that are idols that are coming before God that are monsters in our lives. It could be power, possessions, prestige. It could be family. It could be education. All sorts of things that Jesus Christ wants to free us from. See, we are his fulfillment. And if, if salvation is by works, then you could be just like this young man. You could be in the grips of, the, of addictions to wealth that control your life and still measure up. But Jesus loves us so much that he's saying, I'm not going to allow that. I'm going to bring you into me. You're going to find your fulfillment of salvation not in you or good works or rules. You're going to find it in me. And you're going to find in the gospel of grace that which brings you complete fulfillment, gives you a new identity as a son or daughter of God. Gives you new wealth, spiritual wealth that's brought out at the, the end of this passage for the disciples. He's going to give you security that you know if he gave his life for you on the cross, he really wants to give you all things. And if the worst thing happens, you know at the end of the story, God wins and you're with him. And if you're taken, this life ends, you're with God forever. The gospel of grace brings us the fulfillment that we so desperately need in God, not in wealth or riches, or anything else. Salvation is by grace because we are built for relationships, not for rules. If you look at it, people, this young man probably had a greater relationship with the rules than he did with people. You know, Jesus brings out his weakness. His weakness is he doesn't love God and he doesn't love his neighbor. You see, when Jesus is asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, to love God with your entire being and to love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments hang on these two commandments. You hear what he's saying? He's saying it isn't about obeying all the commandments. It's about two things. Really one, it's about love. Loving God, loving others. The commandments are simply expressions of how to love God and love others. The commandments really should come under the title of the book, What should I do as an expression of my love for God and my love for others? And then you get the commandments. But it's all about love. God made us for love. Why? Because God is love. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit loved each other eternally and they created us in their image to love. If we keep our commandments without love, we're lost. And yet this man didn't love God. He loved his riches. And he didn't love his neighbor even though he said he did. If you notice the list of commandments Jesus gives. They're all ten commandments except one. Love your neighbor as yourself is not a commandment. One of the ten commandments. You know why Jesus slipped it in there? He's really trying to show them, the guy, you're not keeping that one. Because he says, go sell everything and follow me. Love God and take the money and spend it. give it to the poor. Loving your neighbor. Couldn't do either. You see, salvation is by grace because God is not going to turn our lives into a pursuit of rules. He wants our lives to be a pursuit of Him and a pursuit of others. And it is the gospel that allows us to do that. It is the gospel that draws us in love with God. 1 John says, We love. And I believe this is we love God and we love others because he first loved us. It's the grace that brings us in love. Why by grace? Because of who we are and because of who God is. You know, it's popular today to zero in on the love of God. Bring up the holiness of God, not so popular. Bring up the justice of God, not so popular. Talk about the love of God, very popular. You see, today we denigrate God's holiness. We denigrate it by the fact that we look at God's commands, we look at God, what God's God's desiring us to be, and we say, you know what? That's for past ages. We can choose to live lives any way we want as long as we're not hurting anybody else and your holiness doesn't matter god we don't care about your we don't even want your justice i hear a preacher talk about hell eternal judgment a justice oh no 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 that is way old-fashioned we you know it's love not justice I would contend that deep down, we desire God. We want God to be holy. We want God to be just. The most asked question I hear from those who don't know Christ, and often from those who do know Christ, why does a good God allow suffering and evil? And that's, of course, what's in this passage, right? Only God is good. Why does a good God allow suffering and evil? I don't know the full answer to that, but I do know this answer. Ultimately, He doesn't. In the end, Jesus Christ is returning, and He is going to bring justice, and He is going to get rid of suffering, and He is going to judge evil, and He is going to make all things right. He feels more hateful of the suffering and evil that's happening in our world today than we do. Because what do we do about it? We feel sorry for people. We might try to go help, and that's great, and we might give money to people, and that's great. You know what he did about it? He became man, suffered the indignities of all that we could hurl upon him, and the creature nailed him to the cross, and he cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst, I am separated from you. He gave everything to get rid of evil and suffering. That's a good God. He's temporarily allowed it because we've brought it on. He will deal with it inside all of us. We do want God to be holy. We do want him to be just. And he is loving. And so... From our perspective, there's a dilemma for God to be good in all of his character qualities. If he is good, and I fall short of the glory of God and what I was created to be, the holiness and justice of God says, Bruce, you are condemned for eternity. Guilty. The love of God but but if God does that, we're going to look and say, God, where's your love? And so many of us want us to want God to say, God, God to say, you know what? Doesn't matter. You can be Hitler. You can be Mussolini. You, you can be Charles Manson. It doesn't matter. Just let us all in. If God did that we'd say, God, there is no justice. There is no holiness. If it's by works, we're all in trouble. But grace brings it all together. Paul says in Romans that he is just and the justifier of those who believe in Christ. You see those two things? He's just. He says, there will be a penalty. There is an infinite judgment placed on you. For us, that's eternity. But that judgment, that penalty for our sin is paid and will be paid. He is just. But he is the justifier because Jesus Christ took that penalty and suffered infinite judgment because he is infinite in his person. He suffered infinite judgment on the cross, our judgment. So God is just. He punishes our sin, but he's the justifier. He is loving by demonstrating his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Works can't get God to be just and the justifier. Grace allows that. Salvation is by grace. And it's by grace because of who we are and because of who God is. Paul says, by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourself. It's a gift of God. And you got an added bonus. You can't boast. Be arrogant and prideful about it because you didn't earn it. You have to be humble like Jesus Christ. Our Father, we thank you for the wealth of your word, for your understanding of us, for your speaking to our hearts and lives. Most of all, we thank you that when we place our faith in Christ, we don't get what we deserve. You got what we deserve. Yet we get what you deserve, honor and glory and eternal wealth. We thank you and praise you for your love, justice, and holiness. Amen.